everyone. It is Thursday, March 9th, 2023. This is Futures Power Hour. I'm your host, Chris Vecchio, head of Futures and Forex here at Tasty Live, joined, of course, as we are every Thursday by Jamal Chandler of Engineering the Trade. Jamal, good to see you again. Good to see you, my friend. Hope all is well. All is well. All is getting better. Had an accident with my car last week. It's in the shop. I got a rental. I'm driving this four-door Jeep Wrangler right now. That's what Enterprise gave me. It's like driving a tank, man. It's so big. <laughs> it's so much bigger than the Ford that we have here at home. Uh, but but in any event, um, things are on the mend, and that's going to be replaced soon. Thank you for, you for insurance uh, and covering all that. But uh, Jamal, when we take a look at this market, this is a market that feels like it needs some insurance of its own. And I'm surprised that we're not a little bit more in the hole today. Of course, it is the calm before the macro storm. We're heading into a stretch here now, where over the next several days, really over the next week and a half, we're gonna have the calendar dotted by significant macro risk uh, every few days. Tomorrow, of course, is the non-farm payrolls report. On Tuesday, we're gonna get a look at the February US CPI report. And then the following Wednesday, we'll get the release of the uh, March Federal Reserve rate decision alongside the policy Policy statement will also have a new summary of economic projections where the Fed thinks rates will be going. Their new terminal rate forecast for 2023 of note uh, will probably be in focus and be the key driver coming out of that event. But um, today is really the calm before the storm. You're seeing a little bit of a bounce in bonds. There's a little bit of more of a sell-off you're seeing in stocks. Uh, nothing too dramatic of a move except for that darn Russell again, like earlier in the week yeah, when you had a day where S&P, the, the Dow Jones, the NASDAQ were up 0.1% or so. The Russell is down 1.4%. And again, Thursday, here we are standing on the edge. Stocks are a little bit lower, except for the Russell, which is down by 1.39% right now. Uh, otherwise, NASDAQ's up by 0.04, S&P's down by 0.26, Dow Jones is down by 0.23. Uh, it feels like that could be the second time this canary in the coal mine has tripped this week, Jamal. And it's again occurring on what should be a theoretically much calmer day across markets as we stare down the pipe at this significant macro risk. Yeah, it's kind of weird. And um, I think 10-year yields has dropped to lows of the day, too. I mean, I know, you know, a lot of times small caps are are sort of the heartbeat of the of America in a way, if you will, right? And so it's kind of sure. interesting that they're, they're, they're the second time this week. Um, you wonder if it's telling us something with regard to what's going on with the whole mixture of the soup of jobs and all that. We'll see, I guess. We will certainly see because that jobs report does come out tomorrow on Friday, and that's where our spotlight will be today. Where are our expectations for that February U.S. jobs report? Uh, so there's two things that come out, right? We get the the non-farm payrolls report, which is where you see the shiny headline number. You know, the U.S. economy added 300,000 jobs. But then the unemployment rate comes from what's known as the Household Employment Survey. Uh, non-farm payrolls are companies reporting workers. The Household Employment Survey are workers reporting jobs they held. So if a company says, if two different companies say, yeah, I, I hired someone, right? That's two jobs added to the economy. It could be a single person working both of those jobs. So sometimes you see a divergence between the two. Sometimes you see the unemployment rate going up, even if NFPs go up. Uh, and, and it's the difference in those two surveys that uh, for why that may occur sometimes. Um, tomorrow, we're looking at another solid reading, right? Not the 517K burner that we saw on the January report, but a very still very promising 205K. The unemployment rate expected to stay on hold at 3.4%. This is what may be the concern, though, because we do see that the wage component here is expected to tick up 
4.7% from 4.4. This is against a backdrop where the ADP employment change, the private payrolls estimate, came in at 242K versus 200K expected. So there may be a little bit of an upward bias here. Yes, claims came in uh, hotter than expected today, and that may be one of the reasons why we're seeing the, the pullback in yields, right? There's at least some evidence now that the labor market is beginning to cool off. The last leg in the hope stool of housing orders, profits, then employment that gets kicked out as an economy falls towards recession. Um, but what we're seeing here right now, Jamal, is, is ultimately a market that feels a little scared, perhaps, that we may not see the type of data that would ultimately take the Fed's foot off of the market's neck here over the past few days, ultimately the past few weeks. It feels like tomorrow's non-farm payrolls report could be the same kind of catalyst it was in February, which ultimately catalyze this entire downturn in risk assets, the spike higher in yields, the move higher in the U.S. dollar. That's exactly what it feels like, dude. And it's funny uh, what you said at the top. Wouldn't it be interesting if one of the things that's been holding up the jobs report is the fact that there's so many people that have multiple jobs? I mean, that's kind of been something that's been talked about throughout the pandemic, right? The idea of different people holding multiple jobs. So that would be really interesting. Obviously, it's not the biggest driver, but um, it is. it does seem like we're about to be let down again. You do wonder how much of that is priced in if you will and how much uh further if we do if that if that is ends up materializing tomorrow how much further we drop it feels like 3950 obviously is is the bottom um or the lower limit i should say we've been there before and that's kind of right around where the 200 day moving average is so something to keep an eye on i would say I mean, you got to figure in this high inflation environment with the cost of living going up, a lot of those have to be second job holders, right? Someone making $15 an hour, uh, you know, annually, so to speak, I think there's like 2,060, 80 hours in the entire work year. Um, that person's making right around $31,000 a year. It doesn't really buy you what it did a year, two, three years ago, quite right. frankly. And so I, you have to imagine that there is a little bit of a divergence there. And, and if you do see that, you know, the household survey is showing that jobs are being lost while companies are saying that they're adding them, well, uh, that's probably not going to be a good sign either. Anyway, the divergence is something that we'll watch for. Um, just to keep in mind, like, where do we think a good number is right now? The Fed's forecast for the unemployment rate, the U3 unemployment rate, which is the one that we pay attention to, is coming in at 4.6% uh, for 2023. So in order for the U.S. economy to stay at that unemployment rate or lower, the economy needs to add about 142. It says plus K here. Obviously not true. Plus 142,000 jobs over the course of the remainder of this year in order to achieve that. So at 205K, this is well above expectation still. This is still hotter than the Fed wanted it to be. This is a hotter trajectory than the Fed wanted it to be. And so when you think about that there, you think about the fact that there is perhaps an upward bias to this report, given what we saw out of ADP, where there's a hotter number potentially coming in on wages. You have to be concerned about this market here. I know the stocks are generally, you know, softer here across the board, Russell in particular. But you have to feel like in this low volatility environment, uh, the rug could be pulled tomorrow. And yes, while it may be short lived because CPI could change the narrative entirely, it really could be a, a rough Friday for equity markets. Yeah, I almost feel like it might end up being. Uh a two-day type of event in a way, right? Like you just said, CPI is coming up on Tuesday. So I feel like even if this number comes in high tomorrow for non-farm payroll, I don't think 
I would like to believe markets wouldn't get too carried away. And again, I mean, we've had, you know, decent amount of 1% uh, days. I don't remember the number off the top of my head. If I had to guess, you know, maybe 10 to 15, I'm not even sure, right? But we've only had one 2% down day. And so that is kind of something to keep in mind. Like, I feel like, again, I feel like we would we would probably fade. We probably get to the 200 day moving average, kind of, you know, do that dance around there for the for the remainder of the day and, and then sort of wait around because CPI is meaningful and we still kind of have to know um, I mean, we've already, you know, look at the idea, look what happened with rate expectations this week, right? And so you kind of wonder if they're going to wait just to confirm with CPI before things get really ridiculous. Right. I mean, right now, the Atlanta Fed is tracking, excuse me, the Cleveland Fed is tracking the February CPI report at 0.54% month over month and 6.21% year over year. And that's obviously not a sharp climb down or the climb down that the markets want to see uh, because the markets want to see something that gives the Fed permission to feel like they're getting closer to achieving their goal. But the March reading, again, we're only nine days into the month, but the March reading, the time frame that the Cleveland Fed tracks here, 0.27% month over month, 5.37% year over year. And that could be a reading around the corner in April when that report is released that the markets ultimately like a lot because that's a very sharp, you're lo nearly losing a 1% there uh, in the headline year over year reading in just a single reports time span. And I think that's yeah. something the market would take very kindly. So the narrative can obviously shift back and forth what happens around the CPI report leading into the Fed decision. Uh, ultimately, then the narrative can get reset again when we get into April and you have a new wave of data as, you know, data dependency seems to be the Fed's mindset right now. Tomorrow's data, even if we just get a number right on the nose, 205K, squarely on the button, nothing nothing really to change in terms of positioning. The market was priced correctly. A few people are off sides, but no significant shift. It's that wage component that I think will be perhaps the more important of the two figures. And I say that because of this CPI report coming up on Tuesday. We've already seen things like the Mannheim used car index uh, perk up even more over the past month. We've seen that gasoline futures have moved higher in the past several weeks. In fact, the high for the year just came earlier this week on Tuesday in gasoline futures. So energy prices are going up. We know that rents, yes, they're coming down, but that's happening very, very slowly. Um, ultimately, when we think about wages, if you have higher wages in an economy uh, that is expected to see a decline in aggregate demand and doesn't, and firms are forecasting a bigger drop-off in the economy that never materializes, then you probably have some chokeholds, some choke points in terms of demand exceeding supply, and that just means more inflation pressure within the economy. So the Fed really doesn't want to see higher wages. It doesn't want to see consumers have more money to spend. It wants to see people uh, uh, not struggling per se, but they want to see aggregate demand come down, and that only comes if wages, in their point of view, cool off moving forward. Yeah, it's such an interesting time in markets with all this stuff going on. I mean, again, I, I really hadn't seen this type of market uh, before, right? Where we've seen kind of low volatility uh, based off of, you know, from where it was last year and just watching markets sort of do this dance around certain technical levels. It's been really interesting. 
It has been interesting. And you speak of that dance right now. That's an apt way of saying the same thing I have here. Stocks are kind of in the technical woods right now. They're kind of bobbing back and forth. We had a breakdown earlier this week. We haven't really found follow through to the downside just yet, but it's not exactly a great environment right now. The S&P 500, 39.82.5 here on our chart. When we go over to the continuous contract, uh, which has more of the technical setup here on it, you can see that it's beginning to look a little bit more like a, 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 an inverted hammer or a hanging man, whatever you want to call it, a shooting star, excuse me. Um, and that just shows that sellers have become more in control over the course of the session as we peer down the pipeline into that non-farm payrolls report here, Jamal. This occurs on the heels of what was a failed bullish return into the, the ascending channel the consolidation that had taken place. You could go back to September if you want to argue that was the origination point of that uh, months-long sideways move. But the fact is that when you come into this week, Monday, then you get another similar type of shooting star inverted hammer, and then you get that big down day on Tuesday. Uh, you could make an argument that this is kind of like an evening star candlestick cluster. Technically, it's not at the top of an uptrend, but this pattern, generally speaking, does mean bearish reversal. We didn't see a recovery yesterday. We're now finding a little bit more today, but we're still above the 200-day moving average, right? Yeah. You know, we're, we're, you get you get a softer job trigger tomorrow, 150, 175K. You see wage growth coming below expectations. There's no reason not to think that the market's going to move up and say, oh, well, you know what? The Fed does have the data it needs to only give us 25 here in March. Those rate hike odds recede, and then all of a sudden you have the fuel that you need for a late week late week rally. I'm not saying that's my base case scenario. I'm not saying that it, it's going to happen, but it can't be dismissed as a possibility because we are doing that technical dance right now. We really have been for the past two weeks. We're in this technical woods oh, still yeah. at present time. Oh yeah, man. I mean, deep in the technical woods. First of all, I, I can't believe that uh, you named off so many different technical patterns. It's almost like you had the book right in front of you. You're, you're incredible, dude. Like what do you study these things at night? What, what do, you, do they come to you in visions? How do you know all of these? <laughs> well, I mean, uh, too, too, uh, too much time spent in front of the charts over the past decade. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, you know, you wonder if the whole sentiment of, of the market drifting higher on possible cuts is over. It, it kind of feels like it uh, because we just, it's been hard to sort of get the market to rally strongly in the last couple of days. I'm starting to wonder if those feelings are way out the window or if one possible change in non-farm payrolls or CPI next week kind of gets that sentiments going again. Um, but for the most part, the, the, the trend has definitely been lower for, and, and the bears have kind of been, I can't say they've really been in charge because um, yeah, I know we had the big one down day, you know, this week, but still, I don't feel like they've been quite in charge yet. I think if for some reason we break through technical levels, break through 3950 and C 3900, I think then you kind of have to give the nod to the bears. But until then, it's very indecisive and we're, we're sitting in the woods, like you said. Yeah, earlier this week, one of our shows episodes was titled uh, Bulls Not Fully in Control are not yet fully in control. And the point there was, yes, we had made some progress back above that ascending trend line from the October 2022, January 2023 swing lows, but we needed to see a weekly close through here, right? Because this was such a significant reversal. This is such a significant trend line. You can't just rely on one day's price action. And then you get that inverted hammer, and then you get the big pullback outside of that uptrend. And now you're not responding positively. The bulls, they fumbled the bag. They had a chance at it. They missed their shot. So we're now back to like the 50-yard line, effectively. It can go either way. 
And that's really what people need to be aware of. This is a market that seemingly we can make an argument it has been over the past two weeks since the middle of February. Trading sideways, you could kind of see how the former low that we had on February 10th at 40, 60, 70, and three, uh, call it 40, 60, and 75. Um, it, it kind of becomes the resistance earlier this week. We have a high at 40, 82 and a half. You know, that, that area that we have, that support in middle of February, all of a sudden becomes resistance now. And you could see somewhat of a sideways range that's defined by the March low and the March high right now. We could call that 39.25 all the way up to 40, 82 and a half. We could see either of those break tomorrow very easily. I think that if one were to break, I think it would be the downside one. The market seems predisposed to the bearish tendency, to the Fed hawkish narrative right now. Yeah. Uh, if you do have a set of factors that come out of non-firm payrolls, you know, then seeing an upside move probably brings you close to the weekly high. I'm not sure if we breach it, though. So if I'm a bear, I'm still feeling like directionally, if the coin flips in my direction, I have a better chance of running it with, with it right now, whereas the bullish move is kind of counter-narrative at present time. Yeah, for sure, man. I, I think a lot of people want to take a shot um, at the idea of moving to the downside if for whatever reason that that number is 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 higher or on a little bit higher than expected. Right. And so um, I, I think you got to keep an eye out for that. So is is the trade here selling a call spread, right? Just on a very short term basis, basically saying the market's not going to break through the monthly high tomorrow. If you're a short term trader, right, that's not really the tasty methodology. We like operating on 45 DTEs, getting out of the position around 21. But some people out there like to scalp. Some people out there like to swing trade events. They like to do the event risk trading. Is tomorrow, given our belief that if there's a downside move, it's likely to be sharper than an upside move. If one of the two are going to break the monthly low or the monthly high, it's more likely to be the monthly low. Yeah. Uh, would you would you just be looking above 4,100, right? Like 4,100, 4,200, we'll call it call spreads. Like we're, it's You're probably not going to pick up much in this market right now. We can actually go over to the trade tab and, and check that out. But it's still a way to kind of pick something up around this event, knowing that the risks are more or less tilted to the to one side given the narrative flow right now with gold and the dollar and yields and fed hike odds etc cetera, etc cetera. yeah you actually probably could i mean there's you know and again i mean honestly i bet some people are doing in the near term because there's a little bit of um you know volatility jack to it right now but yeah, i don't know how much you pick up um credit wise selling those i bet there's a lot of people who are just outright selling the future honestly um just because you know like you just it's just more satisfying that way sometimes <laughs> especially like we said you know there's i mean the ivy rank of, of 10.2 i think it's just fairly low right now and and uh, i don't know how much credit you really pick up even on a, a ten dollar wide spread and yeah. you know well there are those who probably don't do it now there are people who are not doing it the tasty way yeah i mean always right and so there's probably some people who are selling probably closer to at the money than further upside. Um, I bet I wouldn't be surprised by that at all. Sure. Right now, just thinking about that potential call spread, it, it, it feels I hate trades like this, where it feels like picking up pennies in front of the steamroller, right? 94% uh, chance of of profit potential. When you see, uh, you know, look at the expiry for tomorrow in the S&P 500, the weekly, you're selling the 485, 4085 uh, call, and then you're buying the 4100 to clip the wing. Uh, max profit 30, max loss 720. Uh, even though the, the the profit potential is, you know, very, very high there. I'm not sure if I feel that, but some people have different risk tolerances, right? You hit this trade, you know, 95 times out of 100, 
maybe it makes up for it. Um, we have to check the math on that. But uh, the point is that systematically, some people like to trade short term. It's not exactly the tasty way. There are ways to, to think about monetizing it. This could potentially be one of those ways. Profit or risk reward is a little bit skewed in a direction that I don't like. But again, it's an option that's out there. Yeah, for sure. All right, Jamal, uh, let's hop over to the NASDAQ real quick. We haven't been there yet today. We've talked a little bit about the Russell leading the way lower. The NASDAQ is somewhat resilient, however, despite yeah, the S&P being down, the Russell being down, the Dow Jones being down. Here's the NASDAQ. Is this just an interest rate story? Is it because that we're seeing two-year yields, 10-year yields, 30-year yields? Like Those are all up. Uh, uh, bond prices are up off of the floor. We're getting a little bit of relaxation there. That's affording the NASDAQ some more relief, whereas the Russell, that's more about the U.S. economy side of things. And quite frankly, the data hasn't exactly been great uh, over the past week or two. Yeah, I think so, man. And it kind of gives you this idea of the bifurcation, right, between the two of them and the different things that's affecting both of them. And so uh, it's it's pretty obvious, I think, today, the fact that NASDAQ is slightly up is because we've seen some relaxation in yields. I think that's all it is. Yeah, right now, just taking with the Atlanta Fed GDP now growth tracker, an update has been released uh, as of yesterday. It's now 2.6%. So we're, we're moving on up. We were at 0.8% to start the quarter. We hit a high of 2.8% uh, just about a week and a half ago. We then bottomed out around 2% the past few days. Now GDP expectations have popped higher to 2.6%. So off the recent lows, not quite back at the highs just yet, pretty close to them. Um, the point is that Maybe my statement about uh, U.S. economic data not being great recently is more of a perception than a reality. Certainly, growth trackers are turning higher. But the fact of the matter is that this seems like it's an interest rate story on a day like today. Small cap is more reflective of what's going on in the U.S. And those initial jobless claims weren't good, right? You, you do see a big jump there, which is something that is somewhat concerning. Claims coming at 211K from 195 expected from 190 previously. Uh, continuing claims jump as well, 1.718 million against a forecast of 1.659 million. So 500,000 miss on that side. This wasn't a good good set of readings, and it speaks to an underlying issue that maybe the labor markets, portions of them, are starting to get weaker following what's been happening in the tech sector, more broadly speaking. I know. I, I don't know what to think about this one today because um, maybe about a month ago, I can't remember, we, we saw something like something along these lines for initial jobless claims. And... I often want to think about things that are you're going to see a trend <laughs> as opposed to just sort of a one blip situation. It's almost like you got to put the soup together in a way. And even then, it kind of leads to sort of expecting a non-farm payroll that's going to be, you know, a little bit higher than forecast, right? Because this initial jobless claims came in higher than expected. We got jolts, which showed that there wasn't uh, it wasn't as high as last month, but still, there's a ton of jobs that are uh, are available. So um, it's it's just you know that, and then you add ADP into it as well. Show came in a little bit higher than expected, so it's almost like the financial soup. You got to mix it together, and you still kind of get the idea that non-farm is going to be a little bit elevated. So I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to put too much into this this initial jobless claims number today. I want to see a trend down the line. Again, I, I don't I don't want to see the trend. You know what I mean? Right, but right, right. You're, you're looking to see if there's going to be a trend over these next couple of months that leads to a situation where maybe a monthly number comes in lower, and maybe you start to hear the idea of of uh, you know the Fed maybe pausing on some rates, like Canada did the other day. Sure. I mean, one of those data points that I'm watching, <clears throat> challenger job cuts. I really 
historically do not pay much attention to this number, right? Mm -hmm. And in part because for most of the past, you know, decade plus, ever since I started working in the, the financial industry, um, it, it, that effectively started during the global financial crisis. So after you get, uh, you know, the first year of my working life, basically up until now, challenger job cuts have not mattered all that greatly. There's a brief spurt where they do in 2020 when everyone wants to know how many jobs are lost during the initial onset of the pandemic. And then basically now, and I say I'm paying attention to it now because we just saw that employers cut 77,000 jobs in the month of February. In January, that was 102.94K. These numbers without context obviously don't mean anything, so here's the context. Uh, that's the largest two-month job quits rate, uh, job cuts rate, excuse me, that we've seen going back to January, February 2009. And as everyone knows, or at least I think a lot of people know, perhaps speaking from my own experience, the bulk of the losses of employment in the U.S. economy during the global financial crisis didn't really come in 2007. They didn't really come in the first half or really the first three quarters of 2008. It was that first half of 2009 that was particularly brutal. It was really the first three quarters of 2009 that was particularly brutal for non-farm payrolls. And so when I think about job cuts starting to pick up pace like this and now claims are bumping up in the night, and we know that employment is always the last thing to fall. And yes, the labor market's been resilient because of the situation we're in post-pandemic where, you know, between people retiring and unfortunately people that met their demise because of COVID-19, uh, we just have more job openings in this economy right now, plain and simple. And we need people to fill them. So the labor market's a little restrictive, but even though it's restrictive, we're starting to see some cracks in the armor, Jamal. And the Russell really doesn't like that. It does not like uh, a U.S. economy that has aggregate demand shrinking. You can make a case for small caps when you have really good labor data. And yeah, sure, the Fed's raising rates, but the American consumer can power along through because they're seeing higher wages and there are more jobs. So scratch, scratch, it's really just, it's not so bad for the Russell as it could be otherwise. But in this environment, hold on a second, consumers now are losing their jobs. And they're dealing with high inflation, which means they're going to really have to pinch their pockets in order to make ends meet while they're potentially searching for new employment. That means there's less spending going on in the economy. That's bad for GDP. That's bad for corporate earnings, particularly for smaller companies, right? Like the first thing I do when I cut back spending is I stop going to some of the boutiques and, you know, retail things in town. I continue to order my Amazon because it's cheaper and it's more convenient sometimes. And I think a lot of people are like that. So Russell here today, th these job cuts figures, the jobless claims figures, it's it, it could potentially mask and create a bigger chasm with that non-farm payrolls number where it really feels like a hollow number tomorrow if it's a big one again. The Russell hears you. You see how it's just been drifting lower the whole time you've been spinning this narrative. It's it's scared, man. So I'll what's, stop the other, trying to... what's, the other, what's, what's the other side? So what's the other side then? I mean, listen, you know, you put me in the uh, laboratory at the Bureau of Labor Statistics and you say, Chris, you need to come up with like the perfect jobs report uh, uh, to get a bullish reaction to this market and, and unwind some of the fear that we've seen in the Russell over the past few days. I'm going to show jobs growth is positive. I'm going to show it like right at or below. We'll call it 200K. Expectation is 205. So we'll show 200K. Yeah. We'll also show uh, uh, an unemployment rate that ticks higher to 3.5%. We'll also show a labor force participation rate that ticks higher. 
Um, but I think the important thing there is where do wages come in? And wages are going to come in below expectations. And that to me is, yes, the economy is still adding jobs, but because wages are coming back in, it reinforces the idea that these are a lot of service sector jobs that were lost during the pandemic. Uh, and ultimately, that means wage growth should still slow. And if it's service sector jobs that are coming back, well, that means consumers are still out there spending money. So that's probably good for economic growth. And so you get this two-sided thing where inflation pressures are perceived to be coming back down. The labor market may not be as strong as it once was. Uh, and ultimately, the perceived narrative is the Fed doesn't need to do as much as people have ginned it up to be doing over the past few weeks. The bear side, Jamal, is pretty easy. Put the unemployment rate lower, send wages higher, give us another hot NFP figure. You don't really need to you know, tinker with the dials too much on that one. Uh, another hot number, I think, against this backdrop, Russell could really take it on the chin. NASDAQ could take it on the chin. You know, Yields by no means are out of the woods. We're going to go there next to bonds. But by no means are bonds out of the woods themselves. Uh, and, and they're deeper in their own technical woods, right? They're, they're, they're in the dark. There is no more sunlight coming through the canopy where bonds are right now. Oh yeah, for sure, man. I, I think um, I think the keys are are like you said. The keys to it are, are are the unemployment rate. I think if some reason unemployment rate is a little bit higher, and that wage number is lower, um, you know, I think I think it was January with the wage number really surprised. I think those two are really keys, and that we could really see some some changes in the market to the upside. But I don't know. I tend to not believe that that's going to happen tomorrow. Um, I just don't believe it. I just think uh, we're we're kind of kind of set on this this bearish narrative, and I don't think there's going to be a market change in in the unemployment report. But I could be wrong. We'll see. We will see, Jamal. And just a quick look at the S and P 500 here before we go over to bonds. IV rank of 10.2. It's still pretty low. IV index of 19.3. Again, that's not super low by uh, longer term historical standards. IV index typically you know moves around 20 for the S and P 500. When you look back beyond the past year, you go to say a five year or a 10 year look back, um, and much longer term. When you go to the beginning of the history, uh, you could see right around 20 percent. So the point is that volatility is on the lower end of things a little bit below its historical uh, average longer term at the lower end of the one-year IV rank. We're talking about 28.5 on the IV for tomorrow's options expiry. That means less than a 2% move is priced in around non-farm payrolls. That seems light. That seems really light to me. And I think that we could potentially, this is one of the reasons why it feels like people are underappreciating the risk this may pose. Uh, given how it can spin up people's fears ahead of CPI on Tuesday and then ultimately heading into the Fed meeting on Wednesday the following week. Yeah, I tell you, man, um, it, it almost seems these days if you're trading options, you almost have to basically trade them on a day-to-day -day basis in a way. Um, you know, I know that sounds a little nuts and it's very different than the way we do things, but just from the standpoint, you either you're either sitting on the sidelines or you're trading, you know, the event volatility, almost like earnings, right? To the to, to a degree, if you're trading these options. And that's kind of how it is because look at just look at that big difference between Friday and Monday, the 10th and the 13th. Huge difference. 10 points ball difference between Friday and Monday. And so, you know, there's a lot of people that want a piece of that Friday uh volatility at your own risk, of course, because we just don't know what's coming out. But that's kind of where we are, man. I mean, you know, you're you're not going to be putting on too many uh, 45 day option positions on right now, right? I mean, just because you're, yeah, sure, options are for the most part made to be sold and volatility comes in, but 
it's it's just not the options are not juicy enough and so you're not you're just going to be sitting on those positions for a while and not not taking in as much money day to day as you would like as you probably could be if ivr wore 30. so that's just kind of the environment we're in right and if all of a sudden you're intending on taking a trade that's you know uh set out at a certain time frame and the market doesn't move in the direction that you want in the time frame that you expect and you decide to kick out your parameters and all of a sudden you're dealing with a different trade than the one you originally entered. And now all of a sudden you're way off the beaten path uh, and you're down a path that you really don't want to head down where you're deviating from your trade plan. You got to be mechanical about your entries never. and exits. Never. And and you, never you know you're in your basement, you're eating pickles, you have your socks on, you have a dirty shirt. I mean, you just, you know, you, you, it can get really ugly really fast. Really fast. Yeah. Thursday night coming up, Jamal. Um, let's move on over to bonds. We have here a uh, bond market that is showing a little bit of a role reversal here today. And I say that because you're seeing that two-year yields, they're relenting. Ten-year yields, they're moving back to the downside. Same thing in ZB and in UB, although those were really standing out already the past few days, where when you had the shorter part of the curve and even into the to the belly that was seeing higher yields, um, it was the 20 year plus that was ultimately staying at even keel or moving to the downside. But um, now everything is moving lower. And that's something unique in this market. I think it's coming on the back of those jobless claims figures, coming on the back of those challenger cuts figures, uh, gearing us up for potentially uh, tomorrow. Although that breaks the narrative, doesn't it, Jamal? If the market's afraid of a hot figure, why wouldn't bond yields be going up more? So let's see who's right or wrong here. Bond market's been right throughout the month of February. The bond market was right bottoming out when it did at the end of last year. It was right rallying in January. It was right to pull back in February. Equities were always a few days late. Theirs were playing catch up. They're always running after the bus. The bond bus was steaming ahead, going whichever direction it was going, and equities were chasing after it. Right? We saw that throughout last month when bond yields immediately started ripping higher in the wake of the non-farm payrolls report, and it took a few sessions for equities to kind of get the message. Yeah. So are equities not getting the message right now? And when we take a look at what's going on in ZN and ZT, should people be afraid of tomorrow's non-farm payrolls report? Are we overhyped this? Because this is a meaningful reversal. This is the largest single day rally that we've seen in bonds. You have to go back to February 1st at least. And and you know what, we got a totally different reaction on that day, right? Like from the markets. So, I um, I, yeah, it's it's uh, you know, it's I think it's just one of those pre-event jitters that we're seeing right now. Because like we've said, a couple of these different moves that we're seeing today don't exactly make sense. Um, there's a lot going on underneath the surface in markets today. Uh, there's, you know, obviously uh, the move that we're seeing right now in bonds. I know we're just talking about bonds, but you know me. I look at a bunch of different things. You can see what's going on underneath the surface um, in equities with these. There's a lot of weird moves in a lot of banks. You guys can probably look and find out on your own. Uh, obviously, the regional getting, banks are getting killed today. Getting destroyed. And um, there's, there's obviously the interesting move that's happening, which is news related in crypto. And so it's just a lot of different things that are going on today ahead of this, this, uh, this big number tomorrow. I'm not exactly sure what's amazing. Of all, this is just one of the few, right? But, um, you know, you almost wonder. I, it's weird that it's, it's such a strong pullback in these two year bonds today, um, given, you know, what's been happening more recently 
overall. So um, I should say two-year yield, sorry, pullback in two-year yields, obviously the big move to the upside in two-year bonds. So it's it's kind of an interesting move. Um, and I don't know if it's it's almost one of those where it just feels like it's it was technically oversold and it's trying to get a little bounce here or, you know, it's, it's, it's really interesting. It's, I'm not exactly sure what to make of it. We almost kissed 5% here on the session, 4.998% high yesterday, 4.989% high here today. Uh, Maybe a little bit of a give back, but 5% is a goner. <laughs> yeah. You see a hot job sticker tomorrow uh, in my mind. Part of the reason why you're seeing a pullback in yields, of course, is what's going on with Fed hike odds in the wake of those jobs numbers this morning, the weekly figures from the claim side and the challenger job cuts for the month of February, uh, a meaningful step down. Yesterday, we had a peak Fed funds rate coming in, Jamal, 5.685% in the month of October. Today, it's 5.59% for the month of October. So seven basis points, eight basis points shaved off there. That is helping ease some of the tension, at least in the treasury space. Uh, might not be translating into good news for equity markets just yet, but this seems to be the key driver here right now. I mean, if you're going to see a sustained pullback in yields, you need to see Fed hike odds go lower. How do Fed hike odds go lower? Don't give us U.S. economic data that makes the Fed feel like the tide is turning against them in their fight against inflation. So that means more moderate NFP figures. That means reductions in wage growth. Still positive, right? But it needs to happen. And yes, that's not a good thing because inflation remains high and wage growth is below inflation, which means even if you're getting a 4.7% raise, well, that price of bread just went up 5.7%. So you're not even keeping pace. You have to stop eating so much. And that's a legitimate thing that's happening to people nah, where, sure. where, you know, it doesn't matter that they've gotten a, a raise at work because the cost of living has exceeded that in recent years, over the past year, over the past two years, three years, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's not exactly great news for the American worker, for the American consumer, but it's what the Fed wants. And you know, this is one of those things about markets, you have to be able to kind of separate yourself from what you think should happen, what you'd like to see would happen, and then understanding rationally what makes these policymakers pull their levers. You can disagree or agree with why they're doing what they're doing, but you have to understand what catalyzes their actions. And the action here is quite frankly, lower wages. Lower wage growth is what the Fed wants to see, and that will get them to kind of take the heat off this interest rate hike speculation. Until then, they may be wrong about this, but this is the metric that they're using. So you kind of got to play their game. It's like, you know, I don't like, uh, I, I can't dunk on a 10-foot hoop, Jamal, but if I want to play basketball, I got to shoot on a 10-foot hoop. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, uh, you know, it's funny. I, I um, I've been looking at these yields, man, and and I'm glad I don't have a, a position. Um, that doesn't help anybody sleep better at night, of course. But this is one of those where you really gotta sort of uh, trade the waves. I mean, it, it seems as though. I mean, whether it's twos or tens, you really gotta trade the waves because this. I, I, a lot of us have, uh, you know, a lot of people have obviously traded that 210 spread and there are short twos, long tens, and it just quite hasn't worked out, right? And we saw a meaningful move, obviously, more this week. Um, it was, what, 110 basis points uh, inverted at one point during the week. And it's been just the toughest trade probably on Wall Street for the last year and change. And it's been inverted since consistently since uh just after uh, the independence day so it's been a while man and we probably got a little bit while longer it's not going to change itself overnight so 
this is one of those situations where you just sort of have to really uh, this is a, it's, it's gonna be a tough trade for a while you sort of have to find take advantage of days like this um you know and and it's, it's not gonna be pretty or at least make decisions on how you're gonna clean the trade up overall but you got to trade these waves when you get a, a move like this because like you just said chris we could have a situation where we do eclipse five percent tomorrow in some way or another and then you're just that much deeper in the hole we could be getting close to that jamal and zt we're kind of poking our head back through an important area former support that popped up on our radar on march 2nd for a little while here it's held up as resistance at least we haven't crossed that threshold again uh, uh since we broke down through that area on march 7th two days ago i'm just watching this right now because it's one of those things where zt is potentially making a reversal zb is here as well both of these on the four hour time frame i point this out because we've been mostly range bound you can make a case for left shoulder head maybe a little bit of a right shoulder here certainly somewhat of a bottoming effort uh, uh the failed bullish breakout attempt didn't lead to a return back to the downside and we're now thrusting upwards so <clears throat> i think the bond market right is really going to be the tell because the bonds have been tracking what's been going on with fed hike odds uh, a little bit more how should I say this, more sensitively, they've been quicker to respond, right, uh, to the changes in Fed high odds where it's taken maybe equity markets a day or two or three to kind of get with the picture. And so tomorrow for me, the way that I'm looking at this is through the bond market lens. If ZT continues to go up, if ZB continues to go up, right, if those yields are coming back down after the non-farm payrolls figure, if Fed high odds are coming back down after that non-farm payrolls figure, and you see a decline in equity markets, that to me is a decline that you may potentially want to look at and say, this is a dip that presents itself as an interesting case because the catalyst, this entire decline throughout the month of February, we're climbing Fed hike odds, we're climbing US yields, mm -hmm. and both of those just went lower. And equity markets have been wrong, they've been late. Why would that be not the case now? Yeah, man, bonds have really been the tell. I mean, they really have. It's ruling everything, just about everything that we're trading these days, whether it's, you know, uh, sometimes cryptos, not so much today, but um, most of the other things that we're looking at, it's been ruling the roost there. And so you, you really got to sort of take that into calculation with anything you're trading these days. Let's move on over to energy in the final 15 minutes of today's show. We're seeing that crude oil's losses have been stemmed a little bit, but nat gas is have not. Poor Nat Gas continuing to bleed a little bit here in today's session uh, after the spectacular close to last week. But let's go over to the daily time frame here, Jamal. When we take a look at our chart, that reversal higher, well, it's actually evaporated over the course of our speaking for the past 45 minutes on this Thursday edition of Futures Power Hour because now you have a nasty wick to the upside here on our crude oil chart you see what's very clearly an inverted hammer or a shooting star candlestick pattern and it's coming right as you see our moving averages tilting to the downside right the slopes are becoming more negative momentum here is breaking lower stochastic streaming down through their median line macd about to break through and below its signal line crude oil looks like the path of least resistance is to the downside and yet that may be helpful for a short-term trader, someone who's saying, I wanna trade crude into the Friday close, into next week's close, like what am I looking at here? What are my choices ahead of me? The technical outlook appears to be bearish. But if I'm still that guy who's looking at this from the market evolution since the beginning of the year, I don't care one hoots about today's price action. Nothing's changed. We're no. still in the range. 
<laughs> still in the range man it's uncanny isn't it i mean it there's just it's in the range and there just hasn't been a whole lot of news about it i don't know what to say man you got to check it for a pulse every now and again put the put the fingers on the neck of crude it was <laughs> doing anything it's um it's just been so quiet man uh but you know again i'm sure some people have been range trading it good luck for you kudos to you myself just uh waiting for the time where it actually makes a serious move in one direction or the other and we'll see when that happens you know i've seen some headlines in recent days financial times said that oil executives warn of higher prices now that opec is back in charge and then two days ago uh from Bloomberg, OPEC chief dines with U.S. shale bosses as supply issues in focus. There seems to be a concerted effort to tell people that prices need to be going up and supplies are still an issue. It's not working. And that propaganda is not making its way and ringing and resonating with people in this environment right now. Uh, uh, of course, when a cartel controls a commodity, or the price of something, the price of that usually goes up. OPEC has been in charge in that capacity for a long time. They've coordinated their actions through OPEC Plus with Russia for a long time. That's not news to the market. Uh, potential competitors slash also mutual beneficiaries of tighter supplies, warning about tighter supplies in the market. Not exactly a shock, right? <laughs> Jamal, so these headlines Yes, they should be more bullish, but this feels like a boy who cried wolf situation. OPEC can threaten cuts. They can threaten coordinated action. You can have these signs that maybe shale uh, prices are going to, you know, they're too low right now to justify the cost of drilling. And therefore, that means NAC gas is going higher, LNG is going higher, heating oil is going higher, everything's going higher. Until it happens, these threats are ringing empty, plain and simple. Pretty much, man. And and let's pull up the trade tab. I mean, again, you learn you learn everything all you need to know from from looking at this. I mean, flat term structure, not a whole lot happening with with volatility overall. Like, like in normal times, you know, crude oil vol or uh, CL vol is somewhere between forty and and, and sixty or, or seventy, maybe a little higher, depending on how how crazy things are. But there just hasn't been you know a whole lot to happen. Now again. We got to keep in mind, we came out of this this crazy time period with crude oil last year, right, where we saw numbers, uh, we saw a touch like 130 just about, and and uh, volatility was extremely high. And so it's almost like we're in, ex in a, an extended relaxation period after all of that last year. So that, that might be factoring sure. in. Sure, Jamal. Um, when I take a look at this chart right now, I see an IV rank of six, an IV index of 37.7. I see that flat term structure. You get a little bit of contango here over the next few weeks, but then technically speaking by the you know uh, longest data contract here on our options chain, you're in backwardation by about 60 cents or so. Uh, we'll call this flat. It's really yeah. much ado about nothing right now. And, and we know that from the studies that we presented here on Futures Power Hour, thanks to Dr. Data and the research team, when you have an IV rank of 10 or lower, or five or lower in crude oil, the, the monthly returns, uh, you know, 30 days out, price change, effectively negligible when you're looking at all available data going back to August 2009. Uh, and that's looking at every daily close where you've had an IVR of 10 or lower or five or lower. And you're talking about you know, what's the 30-day return after that close, right? So if today's a six and tomorrow's a 12, well, we're gonna tabulate 30 days after today's six. 
right? Um, you're talking about 1.7% to the downside or so. Uh, when you have an IV rank of IVR of five or lower and you're about 2%, 2.1% to the downside when it's 10 or lower, that's a month out. So there might be a wiggle. Historical tendencies tell us that this is a market that's just not going anywhere. Yeah. Directionally, 1.7% or 2.1% to the downside isn't a lot. You're talking about what? 70 cents, a buck 40, maybe, given current prices. And so that informs you that the most likely outcome, if history holds, and given what we've seen work thus far this year, is that the range trading should hold. That could be through selling strangles. You could be clipping your wrist by doing iron condors. But there are ways to take advantage of this environment. You don't need to worry about the directional trade right now. Trade the range. We've been saying this every day. We told you that we're going to stop talking about it, and we will. We promise. <laughs> just, just trade the range. If you're going to trade this, right, people are getting burned with the directional calls. Take the environment as it is. It's not like what we're seeing in equities or bonds or FX or really anything else at present time. Trade the range, tight stops. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's mainly your, your the trade right now. Risk-defined trading is the only way to go, Jamal. Uh, and I know some people out there who like to punch lotto tickets aren't exactly going to agree with me. We have uh, seven minutes left in today's show, Jamal. Let's jump on over to gold and silver, which they actually kind of have a similar IVR right now to to crude oil insofar as it's really low. And, and that's what's making this such a difficult environment for gold and silver traders. Uh, you can't exactly collect a good deal of premium in this environment, Jamal. And so that leaves you trying to make directional bets. Uh, and ultimately, this is a market that's proving a little bit whippy here. We had a big down day two days ago. We kind of flatlined yesterday. We're moving back up here today. This is a market that's tended to be a little bit of a bellwether itself. It's been a little bit more reactive to what's happening with interest rates and Fed hike odds than what we've seen in equity markets. So bonds first, then precious metals second. As, as we recall, it was precious metals at the start of February that killed over first alongside bonds while everything else is kind of doing their own thing and keeping their head in the sand there for a few days. Um, I, I point that out because gold's having a good day here. We're currently up at session highs. You can see our you know intraday chart, bottom left to top right, as clean as it gets. Uh, again, leaning into this idea that maybe tomorrow's jobs data is not going to be all that bad. Why would you see a weaker dollar, lower treasury yields, uh, higher gold prices, unless there wasn't concern that non-farm payrolls could come in as a real heater? Well, the one thing I'm glad about is that 30-year um, bonds and gold are still kind of moving in the same direction. So that that relationship seems to be holding up. And again, I, I think gold is is uh, it looks as though gold is trying to get back to that eighteen fifty level, which I think has been sort of um, a fascinating level for it. So that's something to keep an eye on. But could all get derailed tomorrow? I mean, it makes you want you know gold is bouncing right now. We, we got the thirty year bond bouncing, and you know we got these the near term yields coming in today. Could all reverse itself tomorrow on a whim's notice. And then it can reverse the reversal on Tuesday with CPI. And that's what makes this such an interesting market here the next few days. It's very difficult to get wrapped up in a directional bias because of all these landmines that lay ahead. Uh, you know, effectively, we can call it now, right now, until maybe the close on Wednesday, perhaps even next Thursday, the market's still going to be digesting the CPI report. And that ultimately means you're talking about 
a whipsaw move tomorrow, maybe a pause on Monday, calm before the storm, a whipsaw move on Tuesday, further digestion on Wednesday, and then finally a little bit of settling on Thursday before then we begin to look ahead and think about the Fed meeting and whether or not Nick Timoros will release another hint article uh, covering the Fed's expectations, coloring their expectations, because they're currently in a communications blackout window uh, as of this coming Saturday. And that means that the only way for them to get their message out is through their mouthpiece. Um, gold here up at $1,834.60 an ounce. We briefly were talking about the IVRs earlier, 1.1 right now. Like I said, very difficult to uh, collect premium in this environment, which means you're probably trying to place more directional trades. But directional trading right now is a bit of a blender unless you're scalping because you can't trust anything more than a day given all the data that's coming up. So either don't trade it or basically my approach would be, and I'm not trading it myself, but if I had to trade this, you know, gun to my head, Chris, you have to trade gold. What's your methodology? I am I am placing intraday trades only. I'm opening up a position in the morning. I'm closing it out at the end of the day. I'm not holding a, a risk overnight. I'm not holding it through the event risk. I have no edge about which way CPI is coming out, which way NFP is coming out. Uh, and so I'm not just going to roll dice. I'm not just going to use capital to roll dice. I want risk defined. I want to have an edge. I want to feel like I have a good chance of profit. Not that just I'm punching a lotto ticket hoping for the best outcome. I'm right there with you, man. I mean, I, honestly, on a lot of the things we've been talking about right now, just because of all the different landmines you mentioned, is there's so many different ways this could all play out after non-farm, after C head, heading into non-farm, heading into CPI, heading into uh, the Fed meeting. And so I think you can't really be convicted on too many different things right now. You got to have, um, you know, really not too much emotional tie to it. And, and scalping just might be the best and only way for the time being. It might be, and that's not necessarily what leads to the the best long-term outcomes. You know, quite yeah. frankly, when you look at the performance and you bucket people out, what's your average time frame holding uh, for retail traders? Scalping is, you know, not necessarily the best. Um, I would say that you know, typically it's the swing traders that do really, really well. Uh, when you think about the trading environment, right? And once you get out beyond like three or six months, then you're really starting to talk about someone who's an investor. Uh, and then well beyond, then once you go beyond a year, they're definitely an investor, right? Capital gains rates change and, and your, your in, inputs for why you're doing your decision-making changes entirely. But for shorter term traders, right? Like scalping can be very, very difficult. Um, it's not for everyone. You have to be very cold and calculative. You can't rely on fundamentals. You really need to be very technical about it. So if you're new to it, if you're not comfortable with it, again, don't gamble, right? There's no rolling the dice. I'm not good at it. I don't do it. So if you're not good at it, just don't do it. It's one way to improve your trading results. Stop doing the boneheaded things that way you down, Jamal. That's probably been my best thing that I've done over the years. Just stop doing what I'm bad at. But Jamal, let's move on over to FX here because we do have only a few minutes left here on this Thursday. Uh, Euro and yen are bouncing a little bit. Dollars coming off. I don't think that's a surprise when you have two-year yields coming back in. We've stated before the Bank of International Settlements, the Central Bank of Central Bank, has put out these studies over the years saying, what's the biggest influence on FX rates? And they've looked at the data and they determined that's two-year yield differential. So on a day when U.S. yields are coming back in the way that they are, it's not necessarily a surprise that the euro and the yen are taking advantage of it. By no means are these charts in the green yet, right? When I say in the green, I mean in the let's go long area, because we've seen a lot of technical damage come into play when we take a look at 6E or 6J. 6J is probably the more 
sensitive of the two tomorrow though because of the potential for yields to be going haywire around whatever the release shows mm-hmm. yet is the most sensitive interest rate uh, uh currency and therefore 6j will be the most sensitive uh interest rate or, or currency future relative to interest rates um through our particular viewing lens in that case 6j right now yes it's up but again word of warning as jamal has said numerous times everything can be undone tomorrow, 8.30 Eastern, 7.30 Central Time, at the flip of a switch. Well, don't these guys have a rate decision, too? What if, for some reason, they raise rates? That could be really interesting tomorrow, too, right? I don't even want to talk about the BOJ, (laughs) and we're going to cover that at another point in time. Until then, what's next on the calendar, Jamal? Uh, Tomorrow, non-farm payrolls, that's really the whole game, folks. You have the change in uh, non-farm payrolls. You have the unemployment rate. Obviously, everything is going to be impacted um, in terms of the non-farm payrolls itself. NQZT will be the focus in terms of the unemployment rate, ESZN. 2 p.m. Eastern, 1 Central Time, the U.S. monthly budget statement. ZTZN may be in focus. Maybe some of the concerns about the upcoming debt limit coming into play. We'll see that in the data or not. Otherwise, that's it for the week. No Fed speeches, really nothing else popping up on my radar, Jamal, which brings us to our closing segment on today's show. As always, we like to cover a little bit of education here on Futures Power Hour before we clock out for the session. If you go to tastylive.com, go to that top banner, go to Learn Courses, click on Beginner Futures. You'll get the Beginner Futures course. Today, we're talking about market products recap key concepts for market products jamal futures consist of six primary sectors with the majority of those markets trading in the same time frame outside of ag products there are multiple market participants that express opinions on futures contracts each futures market has unique characteristics for more information head on over to tastylive.com top banner learn courses beginner futures get this great module put together by the folks on the tasty live team of course if you're watching this presentation afterwards if you have access to the pdf go to the link at the bottom of this slide click the link we'll bring you there directly jamal we have got to go we're running late we're running over that's so inconsiderate to frank or rather dr jim schultz but uh we will talk to everyone tomorrow on Futures Power for Jamal Chandler. I've been Chris Vecchio. Good luck trading. Up next is Dr. Jim Schultz with From Theory to Practice. The content of this podcast is created, produced, and provided solely by Tasty Life Inc. and does not represent the direct views or opinions of any of its affiliated companies. This content is for informational and educational purposes only. It is not, nor is it intended to be trading or investment advice or a recommendation that any security, futures contract, digital asset, other product, transaction, or investment strategy is suitable for any person. Trading securities, futures products, and digital assets involve risk and may result in a loss greater than the original amount invested. Tasty Live Inc., through its content, financial programming, or otherwise, does not provide investment or financial advice or make investment recommendations. The information provided may not be appropriate for all investors and is provided without respect to individual investor financial sophistication, financial situation, investing time horizon, or risk tolerance. Tasty Live Inc. is not a licensed financial advisor, registered investment advisor, or registered broker-dealer.